but here it's like you're right in the live action like like this is where all the that was really one of the very important reasons why i chose houston because i knew houston was the energy capital of the world i needed to be where all the action was happening yeah. right next to the table why deals were being made right next to you're in the laboratories where they're literally manufacturing those technologies you've been taught about all the while in class so the, for me this has been like the most amazing and interesting thing We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode number 102 happening right now, and it's an episode we've been waiting a long time for. It is the first part of the eight-part student series of our Coogs Energizing the Energy Transition series that we're doing with the University of Houston's Education Group, as well as the Energy Coalition at the University of Houston. We couldn't be more excited about this partnership with U of H, with Dr. Krishna Morty, with Ms. Afriya Nasir, and all the folks that have made this thing possible. Lauren Steffi, Mike Niemer, it's been an absolute labor of love, and I know I use those terms a lot, but I'll tell you what, when you're talking about education, when you're talking about future leaders, when you're talking about the young minds from all over the globe that are participating in this series. I couldn't be more excited, and I'll tell you what, after you hear this first episode with Mr. Lotana Ohazarike, you will feel as encouraged and as excited about the future as I am. But before we get to part one of this eight-part series, let's hear from our CEO and co-founder, Mr. Mike Niemer, telling you what it is we do here at eRenewable. At eRenewable, we know going green is important to your business and your ESG rating. Besides offering PPAs and VPPAs, through our network of clean energy professionals, we can also offer renewable natural gas, or let us help you lower your carbon footprint with responsibly sourced gas from a leading global energy provider. Maybe you need green energy credits, whether it's unbundled RECs or RSG certificates. Your path to net zero and decarbonization is one step closer with the renewable. For more assistance, please call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. Don't forget, you can find out more about the company over at eRenewable.com. Give us a follow on our LinkedIn page as well, eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast. And, of course, you can become part of our Follower Friday series. It does have the internet going nuts. Of course, right now we've got a little NEMA series getting you ready for the NEMA conference. It's going to go down in April. Stay tuned for that. But let's get right down to the program today. Lotana Ohazarike, this young man, we were blown away. And of course, uh, don't I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my co-host, Miss Afriya Nasir, who's been absolutely phenomenal every step of the way. Not only in just helping us get this thing off the ground, but just being a part of this process. She has been a, I'll tell you what, like I've said before, she could easily have been part of this podcast series as well. But instead, she's behind the scenes and has done a tremendous job. So you'll hear a little from her today. She will be my co-host over these next next eight episodes. But Lotana Ohazarike, PhD student at the University of Houston, getting his PhD in petroleum engineering. And he talks about the difference in energy between Nigeria and the United States and what I mean by that and kind of how it's viewed. He talks about what the energy transition means uh, to Nigeria versus what it means to the rest of the world. And he's got a hilarious and just a eye-opening answer on what some of the differences were between 
leaving Nigeria when he first got here uh, to the great city of Houston and what he would do to help his native country. It is just tremendous from Mr. Ohazariki. I learned a lot. You're going to learn a lot. And more importantly, you're going to feel good about where we're headed with some of these young minds. So without further ado, part one, Coogs energizing the energy transition. Here is Mr. Lotana Ohazarike. My name is Lotana Ohazarike. I'm currently studying for a PhD in petroleum engineering. Um, prior to now, I have a bachelor's and master's, all of which I got from my country, Nigeria. I stayed in Nigeria for... A huge part of my life just came to U of H in 2018 and it's I mean it's been so much fun since then why U of H because uh, they gave me a really good offer <laughs> fair <laughs> enough to be honest <laughs> um, but also because they've got some really good professors like when I was I remember when I was searching through schools colleges for PhD one of the things I loved the most about U of H was there were these names that I had loved all the while I was in my bachelor. So seeing them all here at U of H, I was like, okay, I've got to go to U of H. Why don't you go ahead and give us a couple of those names so in the event that they listen to this podcast, if you know, if you need a final nudge on one of those finals when it's all said and done, <laughs> who were some of those professors that you saw that uh, helped, helped seal the deal? Oh, I loved Christian Economides. I loved Ganesh Thakur. I love Mohammed Suleiman. I love Biro Dindaruk. I love Professor Farouk Ali. So it was a whole lot of like amazing names. It was Shark Javier as well. Lots of these awesome persons that read their books. Like it's it's different being in the class of the person whose books you've been reading for like five, six, seven years. So yeah, those were names that really attracted me. So when you see these names and then when you see th these are folks that, you know, because it, it's funny you bring this up, right? Because I'm a sports guy. And so, you know, I grew up watching, you know, whether it's, you know, the Michael Jordans of the world, the, the Joe Montanas or what have you. I don't get a chance necessarily to sit with those folks, but, you know, I did sports radio long enough to be around athletes. So it's cool to, you know, from my perspective. So to hear it from your side in an educational aspect is even cooler. So how do you, you know, do you go up there and do you tell these guys or gals like, look, I, you know, you've been, I've been a huge fan of yours for all these years. What's that interaction like when you first meet them? Oh, I did that. I tried that once. <laughs> I tried that with Professor um, Ganesh Thakur. I went to his office. I was like, because he was like the president of the, there was an international society of petroleum engineers. And he was the president in like 2012 or so. He visited Nigeria back then. So I met him then, you know, back then you're just like these students at backstage, you know, among the crowd. And there's this like, this superb guy, they tell you he's a VP of Chevron. I'm like, whoa, am I ever going to get to have lunch with this guy? And then I come to your face and his office was right like right next to mine so i walked in there one day like hi professor ganesh i have been a fan you know i've loved you when you were sp president when you visited nigeria i loved reading your books at reservoir management and it's just such you know it's such a huge opportunity to meet you and um it wasn't um i guess i didn't ask for any autographs um but <laughs> <laughs> and the autographs like we had a pretty good conversation you know you know he was kind of telling me about fields in nigeria you know and like it was just it was just awesome i i cannot remember the words but i just know i was just blushing all through <laughs> no that's fantastic I, I love hearing that and that's what makes this series so special is getting a different perspective on that for folks that are just starting their career so you've been at u of h since 2018 you got your bachelor's and, and undergrad you did all that over in nigeria what were some of the biggest differences you noticed from the way nigeria approaches and, and treats energy to how we do things here in the United States. What was kind of your first impression of the difference between the two? Oh, oh, that's a really interesting question. So Nigeria has this approach of ownership. So in Nigeria, it was, it was a lot about, oh, okay, 
this oil is like a natural resources it's the country's national uh, national wealth i want to be sure you produce it want to be sure we get enough benefits off of it from you want to be sure you're making the best reports in terms of how much you're producing so it was more on like how much are you producing how much is the country getting from that in the u.s on the other hand it it went from, I think the, the first, the most interesting part is that it's no longer a government ownership, right? Like, anyone can literally own an oil well. Like, I mean, anyone. And it's crazy because in Nigeria, even if the oil was discovered right in your home, right underneath your home, it does not belong to you. You know, so and that's one thing I really loved about the U.S. Because essentially, you had this system that the wealth flows from the people to the government. You know, even the oil wealth and the oil resources. Um, so I really, really, really like that. And I think the second and really awesome thing was, in Nigeria, it was a lot of us being the end users of all of these amaz amazing technologies. You know, you could have a professor tell you all about, oh, directional drilling, all about the oil and gas industry. But here it's like right in the live action. Like, like this is where all the, that was really one of the very important reasons why I chose Houston because I knew Houston was the energy capital of the world. I needed to be where all the action was happening. Yeah. Right next to the table where deals were being made. Right next to, you're in the laboratories where they're literally manufacturing those technologies you've been taught about all the while in class. So this was, the, for me, this has been like the most amazing and interesting thing. What's been the biggest surprise to you thus far? Maybe the thing that, like I said, being in, immersed in this and seeing that Houston is the energy capital of the world, what have you been most surprised by since you've been here? Um, the food? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that dinner. Really? Like, if I do not talk about the food, I'm not doing Houston okay, any justice. Okay. Um, so my first, year, my first year in New York, I struggled a lot. I struggled with adapting to the U.S. food. Um, uh, and then I stayed on campus. Uh, the only thing I really knew I could recognize was chicken. So I said, I said like my first two semesters mostly on chicken, like just going always to the um to Cougar um Cougar Woods on campus, always going for fried chicken, always going for fried chicken. Like every other thing looked strange. Um, but in the moment I opened up myself, I fell in love with Thai food. I love Japanese food right now. Like. I'm just crazy about it. And then I discovered Chick-fil-A. Oh, my God. Like, what are you guys waiting to export Chick-fil-A? Are you guys waiting to export Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A was, like, the best and probably the most amazing thing the U.S. has to offer. What? <laughs> it's just crazy. Like, it's just crazy. What is it about Chick-fil-A that you like so much? The sauce. <laughs> I wish they could give out the secret recipe to that sauce. Like, I would pay. I would pay to learn how that sauce is made. You know, I would pay. Like, it, it freaking goes with everything. The fries, the chicken, the, the burgers, the bread. Like, it literally goes with everything. Like, I would... Man, the sauce is just heavenly. Needless to say, there's nothing quite like Chick-fil-A sauce in Nigeria. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Nowhere near it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So when we think about the energy transition, we'll get back to Chick-fil-A at some point because I, 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 definitely, I definitely need to pick your brain on this a little bit. But when we think about the energy transition, a little bit about what you're studying right now, um, because we'll talk a little bit about you know what got you here to U of H. And I know you said the offer was a big part of why and, and, and a lot of the folks that, that you've looked up to. You know, What part of the energy transition are you looking to join and what was it about your upbringing in Nigeria that got you hooked on energy to begin with? I guess for me, my journey with energy was, was actually kind of luck, I'd say. So I originally wanted to study petrochemical engineering like 
I think, in all honesty, it felt like the biggest word in all of engineering. You know, electrical is just electrical, mechanical, but petrochemical. You know, it felt like there were like two degrees in one. So that was the way I thought of it. But as soon as I got in, there was a mistake in my registration, my enrollment, and I was for some, you know, mistakenly enrolled in petroleum. And I kept on trying to leave petroleum. But with time, I kind of, the more I started understanding how much energy meant to Nigeria's economy, you know, the fact that literally everything was paid for by energy, by the oil and gas reserves and resources, the more I saw how important it was. So that kind of kept me going. And then I fell in love with some technical aspects of it as well. I loved the math. I loved the very amazing computer models. Like, bro, just show that to a kid and he's, he's going to study oil and gas for the rest of his life. That was me. And then with time, I started learning about geopolitics. You know, I started learning of how oil was like the one commodity, you know, right before data came up. The one commodity that connected all of the world. Like, you know, you see what's happening in Ukraine right now. You see what's happening, like, what's happening in Iraq, in Afghanistan, all of these countries. And you saw the central role that oil played. So then I started seeing that, okay, this is way more than just a career to make money. This is actually something that can go as far as determining if people are killed or not. So really doing this and doing this right was very, very important. So in due time, after I came to the U.S., I started learning of the energy transition. Actually, I learned a lot of that thanks to UH Energy. They've been doing a lot of amazing sensitization on that. So I began thinking about it like, okay, what does this mean to me, right? The U.S. has an amazing plan to decarbonize. But for me, this you know, young kid from Nigeria, what does energy transition mean? And the first fear was loss of revenue for the government. You know, that was really, in all honesty, the first fear. Um, it's not a fear of carbon offset, you know, you know, CO2 um, um, emissions reduction. It was a fear of loss of revenue because I started thinking, what would the economy of Nigeria be like without yeah. an oil and gas industry? Yeah. Um, and that was my first thought. And then with time, I became really interested in it, but no longer like the energy transition as it is, but what really is the question of sustainability in how we're going about this, right? How is, is this sustainable? If we switched 100% to wind, are we going to be able to have 24 hours power the way we have? Because, Fred, I've, I have lived in blackouts. It isn't fun. I was going to say, because in Nigeria, just knowing the little bit I yeah, know and just I, having a few friends from Nigeria, I mean, it, you know, we talk about blackouts in California, okay? But those, you know, they just had the first ones, I think, in like 20 years this past summer. Y'all do it on a daily basis over yeah. in Nigeria. Bro, if you get six hours light a day, you're one of the lucky ones. Right, um, you've got to be wealthy enough. Say, to say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> what, uh, say that one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still like, if you get six hours of light a day, you're one of the lucky ones, right? What's more obtainable, what's most likely is you have your own personal electric generator and you buy gas, fill it up, and then have your own power. And I'm guessing that's probably the exception rather than the rule in Nigeria. I mean, right now it's almost like the rule because anything central electricity generation is well no i guess, I guess what i mean and i guess that's a very american saying what i mean is is like few f i'm guessing more fewer people have that opportunity to have generators than folks yeah. that do yeah yeah it is okay yeah. yeah so it's it just makes the whole situation like really messy and when you think of the energy transition for them the question is what's it gonna be like if they lost their revenue what would happen to the economy but also like is it really about co2 intensity for them or is it really more about having affordable access to energy, right? And this is a question something I've discussed with Dr. Ramanan a couple of times that geographically across the world, the energy transition would mean different things. And I think that's probably the most interesting part looking at it. 
we're hearing a lot about again a, a you know push to zero net zero by 2050 but to your point i mean look nigeria is a major player in the oil and gas world but we haven't heard much from nigeria when it comes to your point sustainability wind and solar are you worried that nigeria is not doing enough to push net zero and or sustainability for but to your point because so much of it is reliant on the oil and gas business is that right now that's more important moving forward than a push to sustainability yeah yeah i am worried i i really am worried like if the iea forecasts are right then there's going to be like massive reduction in revenue now i listen to a lot of oil and gas industry folks you know amazing folks talk about it but Revenue is really down to two things. Revenue is down to volume and price. And if we say, oh, yeah, we're going to keep producing oil, at what price? Or, okay, the demand for oil is there and there's no production, lower volume. In the end, revenue is not going to remain the same, right? So um, I don't see so much of strategic moves for that. I know there's a conference coming up recently in, um, in Nigeria, I think sometime in July, about really discussing what energy transition means. But from the government side, I've really seen them focus more on gas as a transition fuel. Um, but again, if gas is a transition fuel, then what, give or take, we only have that till like 2050. Do you see biofuels maybe being an, uh, a huge opportunity then for Nigeria never, where they enter that space? Never mentioned in Nigeria. Really? Never meant like the only the closest to what we do in the US that is mentioned mentioned in Nigeria is um probably hydrogen. Okay. Solar, I think they're taking a kind of a decentralized approach to it. Okay. You know, individuals that are wealthy enough buying solar panels for their homes. But central electricity. No mass solar arrays or anything like nope. that. Nope. Not happening. What's the biggest misnomer when it comes to Nigeria and its energy? I'm not really sure what you know. I guess in, in its relationship with energy. I mean, is it just, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that do we, we, we is Nigeria more advanced oil and gas wise than we think? Or is it just, you know, it's just, hey, look, it's oil and gas and that's just what Nigeria is. I mean, is there any misperceptions out there about Nigeria when it comes to their role in just energy? Forget the energy transition, just what their, their, their role in the energy world. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I think there is a kind of a, a cannibalistic view of oil producing countries. You know, it's like there's the view of oh, they just or they just you know they keep going on strikes and industrial actions, or they keep making one demands or the other, or you see OPEC you know doing what they do to maintain their quotas. I think there's that view of oh, they're just you know putting all of these strains on the U.S. But sometimes as well, I like to. I would hope that people look at it more also from their, from their point of view. You know, like for us here, this for us in the U.S., energy really is about you know power, ability to run our economy, move our cars, drive to work, and all that. For them, energy is the ability to feed, and you know we've got to accept that they are really primary need, and feeding is probably undoubtedly number one. Right, so for them, it's no longer just—it's not just oil and gas. About oh, we just want to produce um, to power the economy. They really are thinking about it as a source of revenue to feed, and that's why you see them being really aggressive about it. So I—I I would hope that that's the viewpoint that people would change when they look at oil and gas producing countries, because they're really reliant on it to survive. The second thing I think would be interesting also would be for people to understand that these countries are also like a kind of more developed than we think. I've seen people, when they ask me about Nigeria, you know, first thing they're asking me about is like, oh, how the canoes, you know, how the forest. I'm like, 
bro, like, nah, come it's on. It's more westernized than people realize. Exactly, I mean, exactly. Know, it's not, this, this ain't the 1820s back in Nigeria. Exactly, right? exactly, exactly. So I would hope that people would change those kind of viewpoints, right? But for a guy like Lotana, and, you know, you're over here, you're getting your education, I guess this is a two-part question. One, what, A, when do you graduate, and, and what's kind of your next step, all right, when you leave U of H, what do you want to do? And... If it, I guess my first question is, do you plan on going back to Nigeria when you get done with school? No. <laughs> no. Um, Why not? At, at least not immediately. Not immediately. Okay. Yeah. Now, is your family back there still? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, is your family in the uh, oil and gas business? No. Nobody no. is. I'm the only one. You're the one. first one. Yes. Really? Yeah. So, I, I got to ask then, what was uh, kind of your folks's, I mean, had your folks gone to school here, or are you the first one in your family to do it? I I have a cousin here, but she's like she's a nurse, so I'm really the only one in my family that's full on oil and gas energy. Okay. Um, what's more, what's more, uh, what's most common amongst my my tribe, my people in Nigeria, uh-huh. is um having their own local businesses and you know okay. shops and um dealing on goods and services rather than going to school. So they really prefer doing that than going to school. Okay. Um, but you're obviously your parents though were very supportive of wanting you to do what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had really supportive parents. They loved education. So they just kept on pushing me to keep going. For Mr. and Mrs. Ohazariki, first of all, shout out to them for, you know, I mean, cause look, you can't without parental support, and I don't care what where you're from Okay, what your ethnicity, you know, social status in life is, parental support is is the most important. So shout out to your mom and dad for for uh, you know pushing you to do what you're doing. So what's the next step then? A when you graduate, and B what do you plan to do after that? I hope the recruiters don't get angry at me for saying this online. <laughs> but uh, I've been I've been looking a lot into uh, management consulting, and it's really yeah yeah. But it's not as a way to leave the oil and gas business. It's as a way to pivot to the part of the oil and gas business I'm interested in now, which is the managerial aspect, you know, where the C-suite make those decisions. Because I feel like I used to, as a kid, I used to be interested in all of the math and science and engineering. But right now I'm really interested in how how the energy transition plays out. And I want to be as close as possible to, you know, that round table where that conversation happens. I want to be involved in it in every way I can. And that's kind of gotten me to go towards Now, are you concerned, though, that they may look at you? Because you're what? In your early 20s, obviously. All right. Early 30s. But thank you. You're in your early... Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, shout out to you. You know what? I should let my friend Latifa know that Fred thinks I'm in my early 20s because she's always telling me I'm I'm old. She'll hear it on the podcast. I'll definitely make sure she hears this. Tell Latifa she needs to hear that on the podcast. So, well, your youthful exuberance is what it is. So, you're in your early 30s. So, obviously, then you've got work experience, right? Obviously, I mean, you didn't. I'm guessing you didn't take. It didn't take you ten years to get your bachelor's, right? Because you came here in 2018. Yeah. So, what work experience did you? I mean, have you worked in the oil and gas business then, prior yeah. to? Yeah, yeah, I okay, did. Okay, well, Lord knows I need to learn how to ask these questions first. So, what did you do in the oil and gas business then? Yeah, I. So, I worked for first after my master's. I I tried to start my own company. I was that bold. Uh, I kind of went into like training and consulting for a while. Did that for like a couple of months, like seven or eight months. Uh, didn't work out. Then I got an offer from a company that does something similar, and okay. I just went with them. And you did that in Nigeria. Yeah, I did that in Nigeria. Okay. And then how long did you do that before you decide? Okay, I want to go get. Uh, and you're getting what a PhD? Yeah. Okay. And so how long did you do that? Uh, work for the consulting company uh, before you came here to the United States? 
Uh, I did that for like three months. Oh, like, you don't play around. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, I did that for like three months, and then I saw a friend that was doing his master's in the U.S., and I was like, bro, how did you get here? And he was like, oh, Lucena, you know, you just cannot email a professor, tell them your research interest, your profile. And I was, I, want, I, I remember going back to LinkedIn to look at his profile. I was like, man, I've got a really good profile compared to this guy. If he can get it, then I can get it. Like three months into the job, and <laughs> I started spending my nights sending emails, like sending emails. And as soon as I got good responses, I applied. I think in the end, I spent like 11 months working. Before okay. I came to the US. Okay, so you but you still work for the consulting firm the yeah. whole time through. Yeah, okay, yeah, got yeah, you, yeah. got you, got you, got you. Yeah, so real quick then, real quick, and a free I yeah, I know you gotta throw something in there. I was just mesmerized by what he had to say. I was listening to him talk, and first of all, the only thing I could relate to was Chick-fil-A. <laughs> but everything else he said, um, I realized there's so much to learn when you speak to someone. You know, and you hear their life story, you're like, wow, this person knows so much that I don't know. So honestly, what what like advice would you have for someone like me? Uh, what resources can I like uh, look into to kind of get in a better understanding of you know what you're talking about? So I think like f- probably the first thing is if you can get a handle on any of Daniel Yergin's books, that's like the best. Whose books? Daniel Yegin. Daniel Yegin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's like, for me, like the best book to really understand the energy. I think he published one last year, last two years. Okay. The new map. And that really outlined the state of the industry right now, how we got to where we are and probably how we're heading, wherever we're mm-hmm. heading to with renewables and the energy transition. But as, as a young guy in Nigeria, I know the one thing I relied on to know what's ha- what was happening in the energy industry was daily news a lot. I was subscribed to RigZone. I'll subscribe to World Oil. I'll subscribe to Oil Price. And then recently I added McKinsey and Bain Energy Reports to it. So that was for me like my own way of knowing what was going on in the oil and gas industry. So McKinsey, that's a place that uh, if they came knocking on Latana's door, you'd be there yesterday. I can, I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I'm pleading the fifth on that, okay? Hey, look, maybe you just need to pay. You put it out in the universe. Maybe somebody from McKinsey listens to the podcast. I mean, look, man, it's a small world. You just never know anything out there that, that we can certainly help with. All right, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. You graduate when? I graduated fall 2022. Fall 2022. All right. Mm-hmm. So we're rounding the, the home stretch, so to speak. Any internships that you're going to be doing this summer? This summer, no. I'm focusing on my research so that I can, okay. I can really be done in fall. And that's, I'm guessing, what? If you got your PhD thesis yeah. that you got to do, which is on yeah. what? On, interestingly, nuclear waste disposal. Really? Because I'll tell yeah. you what, nuclear, that's a, look, we know what its capabilities are, but nuclear waste seems to be the, you know, the bugaboo as to why we're not doing more nuclear. Exactly. Is that is that kind of the, the so is Lotana going to bring some uh, nuclear waste knowledge to us that might uh, kickstart that conversation again? Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to. There kind of have been a lot of conversations recently about it, right? Because if we really are going to get the energy transition, I think nuclear is probably our best way to solve the power generation issue. Yeah. And with that comes like gigatons of waste. So what we've, what we've been working on in my group, um, shout out to Professor Kenji Lee. I hope this gives me some plus in my thesis. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> much of what we, work, what we work on really is on how do we store this waste on the ground. You know, it's, a, it's kind of similar to what we do in oil and gas, petroleum engineering, a lot of subsurface engineering. So how do we store it on the ground? 
you know, cover it with clays and ensure that it never gets um, released to the environment. So that really is what we do in the nuclear waste disposal. And um, I'm really hoping that it's something that kicks off because I think nuclear is really going to be important going forward for us. You graduate in fall of 2022. I'm guessing you're probably already, you, I know you being the email maniac that you are, I know you're already firing off emails <laughs> as it is. I'm guessing you expect to get picked up or have a job already in place by the time you graduate. Yeah, yeah, I do have like two interviews coming up. Okay, excellent, excellent. And so what's the one thing about our boy Lotana that uh, they need to know that they're getting if they bring you on board? Okay, now it feels like an interview. <laughs> Might as well ask us here so the whole world can hear so they can get that we can get that question out of the way. I mean, I think like I think there's one thing I about me that I've really understood and it's the fact that when I get into an organization, whatever they are involved in, I expect I expect them, I expect us at that point in time to be the best at it. And I would work my ass off to make that happen. As a bachelor's, I did that for my school. It was our first time winning the quiz competition across all of Africa, like we're the top school. Here at UFH as well, I've been like working really hard to get together to happen, to make sure that UFH, when it comes to all things energy, all things oil and gas, were like at the forefront, at least from the student perspective, what a student can do. And I know for sure that if I get into a company, whichever it is, if we're gonna be working on any particular aspects, energy uh, of the energy industry, I am full on making sure that we're at the forefront of it. And not just at the forefront of it by, you know, having good publicity, but delivering high-value um, projects and results. Yeah. So that would, that would dovetails beautifully me. into my last question. How is Lotana going to affect the energy transition? Oh, Lotana is affecting this already. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go on then. Yeah, uh, I mean, not so much, uh, but there's there are a couple of things I'm doing. One, there's there's an oil and gas initiative by the Society of Petroleum Engineers called Gaia. It's about sustainability, which, like I said, is like my aspect of the energy transition I'm really interested in. So I'm doing a lot of work there as well, trying to lead our like knowledge-driven tree planting across the world, like on a global scale, because um, SP has like, I think probably like 100 plus countries from, am I mixing it up? I don't really remember the numbers, but they have, as of the last kind of like 90 something thousand members across the globe. So we're trying to tap into that to have like a knowledge-based approach to tree planting. But on my own part, I have been doing a lot, of, a lot of work on sustainability and particularly defining what really is sustainable energy. And one of the things I came up with recently was what I call the CARES model, C-A-R-E-S. And that is like trying to get everyone to understand that when you think sustainability, you have to think of it, is it clean, right? That's always the first thing. Secondly, is it affordable? Thirdly, is it reliable? Is it economic and efficient? Because, I mean, in the end, someone has to make money off of it. For all of the social ideas, amazing social ideas out there, if there is no economics to it, it's really going to be hard to globalize that energy form. And then lastly, is it safe? So this has been a conversation I've been driving on LinkedIn with some couple of energy folks I know on trying to really get people to see that in the end to have a sustainable energy, we need like an integrated system and not just one source. I'm going to get you out of here with this because uh, you just said something that, let's see, you said you're not going back to Nigeria right away. No. Okay. But we know, you know, that, that, that whether it's the United States, I don't care what country it is, all right, we can always use minds like the Afri and the Sears of the world, or the Lotanas of the world. 
what if you could go back with the information with the lessons with the education with the experience you're gathering and you're going to ultimately the work the, the great work you're going to do here in the united states if you do go back to nigeria all right what would you hope to accomplish and or what can you do or can maybe you can operate from both places i mean look it's a world it's a global industry right yeah. you already pointed that out so there's no reason why you couldn't you know do the damn thing from you know here in h town and still do your thing over in nigeria too What's the biggest thing you could do to help Nigeria push forward in the energy transition? If they came to you and said, Lotana, look, we need your help. What could you do to help affect change to get Nigeria pushed forward so that, you know what, people do understand? So you don't get these ignorant-ass questions about, oh, are you, you know, does Nigeria have this? And it's like, come on, no, folks, we're doing things in Nigeria. What, could, what would Lotana do? What's the first thing you need to do and or would do to help push the energy transition forward in Africa, in Nigeria? Well should probably make me the Minister of Energy for a start. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think there are a couple of low-hanging fruits that Nigeria can grab, right? We signed long-term LNG contracts. With the situation in Europe right now, that's somewhere Nigeria can come in. I know Europe was all about you know, stopping the long-term contract, but that's a very low-hanging fruit. The second low-hanging fruit for Nigeria would be hydrogen. And Japan is like massively looking for suppliers for that. And I think Nigeria has a huge market, you know, a huge opportunity there. Um, so tapping into the, the growing hydrogen economy would be one. I know Saudi Arabia is doing that already, like literally doing that there all over the place on that. And then I think the third low hanging fruit, once the technology is well developed, is converting old oil and gas wells to geothermal wells. You know, I think if that were possible, that would be a huge change in how we you know, how we supply our own locally generated power. Because there's a lot of wells all across Nigeria. Right. Think of, just think of Texas. Yeah. You know, the way you have wells everywhere. So if we could do that in Nigeria, that would be a major way. Then the final thing I think would be a huge opportunity as well would be for us to tap into the supply, the supply chain market in these rare earth metals. You know, the nickels, the cobalts, the lithium. You know, tapping into that market because there's a lot of those in Nigeria, but... With all of the focus on oil and gas, no one really is looking at that. I know China, for instance, has made several moves on countries that have a lot of those minerals. Right. But Nigeria hasn't done anything about their deposits. So I think that would be They're one. They're a sleeping giant. Yeah, yeah. So that would be one way to, like, you know, retain their role in the energy as, um, like, kind of like an energy superpower, so to say. So, yeah, those would be my foremost advice and recommendations to them. Why should you win this podcast competition? Why should I win it? I mean... Does it really matter if I win? I mean, I just had a, I just had an amazing conversation with Fred and Afri, and I think for me, like that's a victory in itself. If I were to win, well, I could really use the money. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I guess like if this was fun enough, even if I do not win, hopefully invite me for another podcast. Obviously, I love talking. I really love talking, um, especially if it's about energy. I can talk about it all day. So, yeah, I think those are some victories for me. But, yeah, with the money, yeah. Lots of places you could go to. Is that what, what made you decide to enter this contest, by the way? I got to ask you that. Oh, the moment I saw the title. Once it's about energy and to add a sweet spot to it, energy transition, I'm all in. 
Thank you so much for that, Mr. Lotana Ohazariki. Don't forget, you can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and on our website, eRenewable.com. Don't forget, part two comes out on Thursday. Just a heads up, we're over here at the Energy Marketing Conferences here in downtown Houston. We'll give you updates from that. We've also got the Grid Next here in Houston. It's going to go down later on this week as well. We are all over the place. And then don't forget, we've got our Follower Friday on the NamUs series. So much going on right now. No better place to be content and podcast-wise than The Green Insider and eRenewable.com. If you're not following us on LinkedIn, shame on you. Do it. Do it now. Got to give a shout-out, as always, to the entire eRenewable team and Mike, Roger, Al, all the audience, all the guests, everybody that makes this possible. Without you, we couldn't do what we do. This has been The Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. Mm-hmm.